0: Today's a great day for me. Of course, it's the Lord's Day, and that's always the primary emphasis of today, but it just happens to be, as was mentioned, 35 years of marriage, and uh, I I appreciate my wife for putting up with all the different phases of my life, and uh, even deciding to be a preacher and being willing to... Uh, to take on that task, and you know, whatever I have accomplished as uh, being in being a preacher has been a direct result of her support and encouragement of me. So I appreciate her very much for that, and I hope you appreciate uh, your husbands and your wives for standing by your side uh, when you were nice and when you were ugly, and. May God bless the fruitfulness of your marriages. <clears throat> My mom's here today too <clears throat> for thirty-five a thirty-five year celebration, but not marriage. I think probably she would celebrate uh, the thirty-five years ago that I got out of her house and went into Uncle Sam's. <clears throat> All of that happened right about the same time, so I appreciate her very much. Very very much too. This morning we're looking at a statement made by Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter nine verses twenty three and twenty four that was read for us just a moment ago, where Jeremiah gives an admonition do not glory in the in these things, but then he says glory in this. And so our study this morning From this passage comes to us under the heading, Glory in This, and we'll make uh, three points of observation from this text. Jeremiah was a prophet in the latter 7th century BC, in the early 6th century BC. We know about uh, the nation of Judah at this time, they were backsliding quickly and they were on a course charted toward captivity and among the nation of Babylon. And that not because Babylon was mighty and not because they had in their own power and might chosen to overtake this nation of people, but God had permitted through his providence the development of this nation and their use by God as a disciplinary instrument To discipline his people. And Jeremiah, throughout his ministry, would warn the people of Judah and challenge them to realize their fate and perhaps even change the course of their immediate future. So with that in mind, let's launch into a study, really a contextual study of this period of time. Our first point of observation will be this, a contextual timeline for our study. There are some important dates that I believe help us frame what we're going to study this morning. And so we can begin with the year 640 BC when Josiah, most people are familiar with Josiah, the young boy king that came to power in uh, Judah, but he was a reformer. He was one who was inclined toward God unlike many of those who had come before him. We know that when the kingdom of Israel divided, when we went from the united kingdom to the divided kingdom, those kings that ruled over the northern kingdom were all wicked, every single one of them. But Judah flip-flopped. They had good kings and they had bad kings. Josiah was a reformer, a good king in their history, and he came to power about 640 BC. Jeremiah, the prophet, primarily aimed at Judah, began his ministry about 627 BC, and so he begins with a message, and rightly so, repent reform your ways, don't forsake God's covenant with you and reform your worship. They had become heavily involved in uh, the worship worship uh, of idolatry, idolatrous nature, and were forsaking their worship to God. Not unlike many religious people today who, if a prophet were to go to them, would have a very similar message. Repent, reform, to be in alignment with what God has given you. Don't forsake the covenant that God has made through His Son, Jesus Christ, and do not corrupt His worship. The message wouldn't be much different, and that because the problems that people have faced in olden times relative to their relationship to God are really not different than the problems people face today. When it comes to their relationship to God. So Jeremiah comes on to the scene about 627 BC to begin his prophetic work. It's six, about 621 is when Josiah begins the reconstruction of the temple. And you might remember in that period of time that the book of the law was found. How how you lose the Bible, I'm not really sure, but they had lost the Bible, their Bible, and the book of the law was discovered in all of the debris, and there is further reformation that takes place. I think it's important to point out, and I don't know, this timeline is very helpful because I don't know that I've always had this timeline in my mind. I thought this discovery of the law was... That was the touchstone event where the Reformation began. Well, actually, Josiah was working toward Reformation before uh, that happened. And then the Book of the Law was discovered. Now, this date, I would expect that the majority, if not all, who are in this congregation at least would be familiar with 606 B.C., because that's the point at which the Babylonian army begins to make their siege on Jerusalem and starts carrying people captive. We know that there were three periods of carrying away where groups were carried away to Babylon, 606, uh, 597, and 586, until the ultimate destruction of Jerusalem in 586. So just notice the timeline. Josiah becomes king. 640 B.C., Jeremiah starts his work, 627. The book of the law is discovered in 621. And even with all of that preaching, even with the discovery of the law, just a few years later, they're in captivity. They're in captivity because they're still not where God wanted them to be. So a contextual timeline for our study. Now, let's get into the second point of our lesson. An examination by Jeremiah shows some real concerns. We're we're going to kind of skip around a little bit in the book of Jeremiah and notice some of the concerns that he points out that has this nation of people in the crosshairs of God's sight and his scope. God is focused in on them, and there are some reasons uh, for that. Maybe even just to set the stage, if you are in Jeremiah with me, if you'll go back to Jeremiah chapter 8, and look at verses 20 through 22. Jeremiah says, The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the hurt of the daughter of my people I am hurt, I am mourning, astonishment has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Where? Why then is there no recovery for the health of the daughter of my people? That That sounds very medicinal in nature, that language, so maybe we can just stick with that. And we can say Jeremiah is making an examination of the condition of this nation and he sees some real concerns. And so let's notice some of those. The first one is the problem the problem is their prideful trust in themselves and little need for God. You see that even today with people when things are going well in their life that I am where I am at because of my doing I have no need of anything but the moment tragedy danger hardship strikes and they sit there and they realize they're not as much in control of their life as they thought they were oftentimes they turn to God maybe not in full commitment but they turn to God because they have no other recourse where do you go when you realize you weren't as sufficient as you thought you were. And all the while you've neglected God as the one who was providing for you. And so here's the problem Jeremiah is going to point out. Much of this comes from Jeremiah chapter 17. So just flip over there in your Bible. If you can't do that, I've tried to put some of this up on the screen uh, for us. But our study of the problem begins in chapter 17, verse 1. He says, the sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron. With the point of a diamond, it is engraved on the tablets of their heart. That's pretty much uh, etched in their will, right? We know about using a diamond to cut. This, This is a pretty serious condition here. So it's engraved on the tablet of their heart and on the horns of their altars, while their children remember their altars and their wooden images by the green trees and on the high hills. Oh, my mountain in the field, I will give as plunder your wealth, all your treasures, and your high places of sin within all your borders. And you, even yourself, shall let go of your heritage, which I gave you. And I will cause you to serve your enemies in the land which you do not know. They're headed to Babylon, right? Uh, You have, uh, for you have kindled a fire in my anger, which shall burn forever. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord, for he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes. but uh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness. In the salt land, which is not inhabited, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaves will be green. And will not he will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. Sounds a lot like Psalm one, right? Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in it doth he meditate day and night. And what does the psalmist say? He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of waters. Jeremiah is making these same observations. When you're rooted and planted in the will of God, you're like a tree planted by the rivers of waters. When you're not, drought, famine, and dried up shrubs in the desert is the fruit of your choices and in your life. So here's the problem. To begin with, they are prideful and they trust in themselves and they have no need for God. Now, since we're kind of working with the medical framework of mind here, what's the pathology that is evident? Where? where what's the root of this, this particular problem? Well, let's see. Jeremiah chapter 17 verses 9 and 10. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Not because God created it that way, but that's, that's how people are inclined and the direction to which they are inclined when they turn away from God. And Jeremiah says, who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit, of his doing. So it's a heart condition, Jeremiah says. Their heart is corrupt. If we look at chapter four, verse 14 here, Oh, Jerusalem, wash your heart from the wickedness that you may be saved. How long will your evil thoughts lodge within you? Sounds a lot like Hebrews chapter three, verses 12 to 13, doesn't it? Brethren, beware lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God, a heart, an evil heart of unbelief. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And so the pathology is this. There is a root cause for this problem. They have a corrupt heart because they've left God and they are pursuing their own interests, their own goals, their own aims in life, and they're attributing all of their successes, whatever that might look like, to their own doing rather than to God. And so now let's notice another aspect of this problem, the prognosis. What What is the outlook? You know, when you go to the doctor and you have a problem and you tell the doctor about the problem and he searches for the root cause of it to figure it out, typically there's a prognosis. What 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 is What's going to happen? Sometimes it's bad. Sometimes it's really good. Oh, it's nothing you need to be concerned about. Sometimes it's conditional. It's bad, but if you do this, it can be good. There's something you can do. About it. So we have what we might say is a mixed prognosis relative to the problem that Jeremiah is highlighting here. <clears throat> and so let's look at some passages. What about Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11? Where God says of Judah, For I know the thoughts that I have toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. You know, today people have Various ideas about how God views humanity, what God's attitude is toward humanity. Some people have this bully mentality of God that God sits in his heaven and he gets bored and he has nothing better to do than to put stumbling blocks in your life and to try to defeat you and make you fall just so he can send you to a devil's hell now that's some people's view of god but look at what i god says through the pen of Isaiah, jeremiah rather here about his thoughts let god speak for himself with respect to how he feels about humanity i know i know the thoughts i have toward you god says What kind of thoughts do you have toward Judah here but humanity in general? What kind of thoughts do you have, God? Thoughts of peace, not evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now you and I today as Bible students sit on this side of all of this history and we can look back and we can go, oh yeah, that's right. Look at everything God did to try to bring salvation through these bullheaded people, they couldn't see it. They didn't want to see it, and would often accuse God for letting them down. But God knows His thoughts. In fact, the prognosis could be good <clears throat> if you would incline your ear to My Word. If you would move toward Me instead of away from Me, just like the doctor would tell you. If if, you quit, if you'll quit, if you quit doing these things, it'll improve your health starting today. And you can turn this around. But people, what do they do? They'll persist in those same behaviors, destroying their life. Well, from a spiritual perspective, the same holds true. God's word says, change your direction, stop doing those things, and it will reverse the effects that your sinful behavior has had on you and will have on you. And then it's on us to decide. God has thoughts of peace. God has thoughts of restoration and hope toward humanity. That's one side of the prognosis. But what about the other? Here's Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 12 through 13. For thus says the Lord, your affliction is incurable. Your wound is severe. There is no one to plead your cause that you may be bound up You have no healing medicines. In fact, if you remove God's word from the equation, there is no bomb in Gilead. There is no medicine. There is no physician. And this is the prognosis. It's on this nation of people to decide what's going to happen to them with their spiritual health. Just like today... It's on you and me to decide what's going to happen with our spiritual health. If we get our lives in alignment with God, the prognosis is good. If we don't, if we persist in sin, we will die outside of Christ. And our ticket will be punched for one place, a place prepared for the devil and his angels. And you, I mean, you can get mad about that right? That could be one response. You could get mad. But the reality of the fact is, even after you get unmad, you're still in the same place. You still have to do what God said to do in order to get your life right with him. But it's on you. That's the prognosis, all right? So what about the prescription? We've talked about this a little bit, <clears throat> but, but what, what's the medicine? What's the prescription? That's the passage that was read for us in our hearing, This morning, Jeremiah chapter nine, verses 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, nor let the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches. Verse 24, but let him who glories Glory in this. What does glory even mean? To take pride in, right? To, To rejoice in. So don't rejoice in your wisdom. Don't rejoice in your might. Don't rejoice in your riches. Well, what do I glory in? What do I rejoice in? Here it is. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these, in these attitudes, in these thoughts, in these people, I delight, says the Lord. So there's the prescription. Now let's, for our last point of observation this morning, let's drill down into, into that. God's treatment plan Is a universal and timeless one. Everything that Jeremiah has proposed and prescribed for these people who lived on the other side of the zero on the timeline is just as pertinent and relevant to you and me today who live on this side of the zero. Some 2,000 years beyond it, it's still relevant. I saw, I saw a picture on the internet this weekend and it was one of those captions that said, how many of you can relate to this? And it was two, two little kids sitting on the living room floor in front of a TV about this big with an Atari game console attached to it. <laughs> I could relate to that. That was, that was my first experience. Kids today would look at that and they would be like, I can get more out of my phone than I, than I can that. That's just not relevant, right? So much about what has happened in the past is not relevant today. The thing about God's word just in and of itself that should move you toward God is the fact that he could give you a book that's just as relevant today as the day he started writing it. And so the prescriptions are the same. They don't change. If you want to get closer to God, then you have to do what these people, in so many instances, were not willing uh, to do. So let's talk about God's treatment plan, the fact that it's a universal one, that it's a timeless one, it applies to everybody in every time period. You know, there are some things that you see automatically when you look at this historical context. You see great leadership. You have a king sitting on the throne there that is inclined toward the will of God. What would that be like? What would that be like today? Now, we, we have presidents come along and they'll mumble something about God or being a Christian occasionally, But what would it be like to have a leader over your nation who was trying to move the people toward God? We we don't have anything like that, but they did. They had a good king who was a reformer trying to move people toward God. And they had sound preaching. Good leadership, sound preaching. Two essential ingredients. Good leadership, sound preaching, but that wasn't enough. That wasn't enough because it didn't change their destiny. People still have to have the heart and the mind to incline themselves toward God and do what the leadership and the preaching is telling them that they must do. It's no different today, right? You can have great leadership in a congregation, You can have sound biblical preaching, but that alone will not fix problems. It's essential to fixing problems, but people still have to make a conscious choice that I'm going to follow the leadership, I'm going to follow the sound preaching, I'm going to move my life toward God because the prognosis is good when I do that, and that's the prescription that he has prescribed for me. And so we need more than leadership and sound preaching. We need people who will move their own individual lives toward God. In Jeremiah's consideration of these things in chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, he first gives some things that we're not to glory in. Don't glory in these things. Let's look at it again. That's not it. He says, don't glory in... Okay. Here we go. Don't glory. You got to push the right button. All right. Don't glory in your own wisdom is first. Look at Jeremiah chapter 8, verses 8 and 9 here. How can you say we're wise and the law of the Lord is with us? Look. The false pen of the scribe certainly works falsehood. The wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord so that wisdom, so what wisdom do they have? What wisdom do you have if you leave God? You know, there are people in pulpits all over this world preaching messages from their wisdom. But the key ingredient, the wisdom of God, is missing from it. And so people are walking in wisdom today, but it's not the wisdom of God. And and even with Christians, you know, you you can hear a message that you have not completely subscribed to yet from God's Word. Do you know what will happen? A point or a matter has been pointed out that needs to be changed in my life, but I'm not really ready to do that. So I might leave this place operating under my own wisdom and try to figure out ways to negate what was said. I know that's what the preacher said, but sometimes parents will tell their children that. Yeah, that's what the preacher said, but. And I'm just telling you, you just destroyed their faith in the word of God and gospel preaching when you do that. You destroy it. Because then it's your wisdom and not the wisdom of God. We'd be in a better place if we were just of the mind to do what the word of God said and get our lives in line with it. Don't trust, do not glory in your wisdom, he says, or your strength. Don't glory in your own strength. Jeremiah chapter 48 and verse 14. Now, this is actually speaking about Moab, but the message is just the same for Judah because Jeremiah is trying to get them to see Moab's land lies waste. How did it get like that? Well, they didn't incline their ears toward the word of the the Lord. And so he says, How can you say we are mighty and strong men of war? You know, they're decimated on the battlefield. How can you say we're mighty? Look, look at what, what's left. And Judah, do you think you stand in any different place? Not really. So don't, don't glory in your own strength. Don't glory in your own riches. <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter 5, verses 27 and 28. As a cage is full of birds, so their houses are full of deceit. Therefore, they have become great. And grown rich. They're rich, but their houses are full of deceit. They've grown fat. They're sleek. Yes, they surpass the deeds of the wicked. They do not plead the cause, the cause of the fatherless. Yea, they prosper. And the right of the needy, they do not defend. And so here we have the situation that you don't do. And and really, it can be summed up in three things. I think, I can, I have. I think, my wisdom. I can, my might. I have, my riches. And Jeremiah says, don't glory in that because that's a recipe, that's a prescription for demise. But then he flips it around and he says, do glory in this. And the first one is understanding God. That's a great thing in which to glory Chapter 4, verse 22, he says, For my people are foolish. They have not known me. They are silly children, and they have no understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good, they have no knowledge. What a condition to be in. Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 21, Hear this now, O foolish people, without understanding, who have eyes and see not, and who have ears and hear not. They don't understand God. And then he says, do glory in this, knowing God. And so we can add to that, Jeremiah chapter 8, and verse 7. Even the stork in the heavens knows her appointed times, and the turtle dove, the swift, and the swallow observe the time of their coming. But my people do not know the judgment of the Lord. They don't. And they weren't inclined toward or moving toward God even though the prophet was warning them that doom was coming. They have no understanding. They have no knowledge. Chapter 9 and verse 6. Your dwelling place is in the midst of deceit. Through deceit they refuse to know me, says the Lord. How, how can you get to a place where you refuse to know God, you don't understand Him? Well... It hinges on where your glory is being placed. The things in which you trust, the things in which you hope, what I think, what I can do, and what I have. And Jeremiah says, don't do that. He says, if you're going to glory, and you should glory, what do you glory in? Understanding God and knowing God. But what specifically about God is that? Well, He points out three characteristics here. Let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these I delight. If you want to take the right prescription, if you want to move toward the the desired prognosis of getting better, then don't glory in what you think, what you have, or what you can do. Glory rather in the fact that you understand God and his purpose for your life. You know him, you know his will, and you know the characteristics of God that are inclined toward you, loving kindness. But with that judgment, but it's judgment based upon righteousness. It's based upon a formula that you can know and do and one that's good for you as well. Our focus and our priority, no different than the people of Judah, is indicative of that in which we take pride. I can look at my life And I can know my relationship with God based upon the things that I glory in. Is it what I have, what I can do, or what I know? Or is it the fact that I know God and I understand him? Hopefully, we're working toward the latter and not the former. The prevalent pathological heart condition that this nation of people dealt with and which you and I so often deal with, is our own wisdom, our own strength, and our own wealth. And that will lead to our demise and destruction, just like it did for Judah. So the admonishment then and now is what? I I can't say it enough. Glory in this, that we understand God and that we know him. If you're hearing you're not a Christian this morning, what you need to know is that you need to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Through faith, repentance, confession, and baptism for the remission of your sins, you can become a Christian. You need to know that, and you need to understand why that's so important, because without doing that, you cannot come in contact with the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who gave his life on the cross and shed his blood for the remission of your sins. It is through obedience to the gospel that culminates in baptism in water for the remission of your sins, the purpose has to be right, that that actually happens. And so maybe you're here this morning. You need to do that. You ought to. Don't trust in what you know, what you think, what you have, what you can do for yourself, rely solely on, on an understanding and a knowledge of God to save you from sin. If you have that need this morning or some other need we can help you with, why don't you come as we stand and sing? Thank you for listening to this recorded audio of a sermon that was preached at the Roanoke Church of Christ. If you'd like to visit us, you can do so at 608 Dallas Drive, Roanoke, Texas 76262, or you can visit our website at roanokechurchofchrist.org. We hope to see you soon, and may God bless you.